morning again. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians. We are studying Ephesians this fall and, and uh, on into the winter as well. Last Sunday, we looked at the introduction, verses 1 and 2, which housed probably more than I anticipated uh, there being in those first few verses. Um, this morning, we're going to start with this next big section, which is verses 3 to 14, and we're going to spend this week and next week on it. Um, I, think, I think you'll see why here in a second. But one thing I want to just point out before I read this is that in, in the Greek, as, as Paul would have been writing, but more probably having this dictated, um, this is all one sentence, and some of you may be aware of that. This is the, the, one of the biggest run-on sentences there is, and that, that matters, as we'll see hopefully this morning, but I want you to think about that. There's about 202 words here that Paul is just sort of vomiting, uh, for lack of a better phrase, of what is just coming out of his mouth when he thinks about God and who he is, and, and just keep in mind as well all of this while he is in prison chained to probably a Roman guard as well. Um, this is what comes out of his mouth. And so let me read this for us. Um, beginning in verse 3, let's give our attention to the Word of God. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us uh, this morning in the book of Ephesians, this letter. We, uh, we pray now that you would open our eyes and our ears by your spirit, that otherwise we, uh, we couldn't see or, or hear the things that you would have for us. And so we ask that you do that for us. Be our teacher, our guide. Help us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you all might be aware, uh, back at the beginning of September, uh, professional tennis player Serena Williams played her last match as a professional tennis player. Some of you all might be fans. This was in the U.S. Open. Um, and she didn't, she didn't win the U.S. Open. Uh, she lost 
to um, Isla Tamlianovich. Actually had to practice that. Didn't really work that well there, did it? Um, um, but this, this was her last match. This is who she played. And uh, she lost this match. Um, but what was interesting in the, in the, the days that, that followed, and I, I'm not a tennis follower. I you know, have incredible respect for uh, any professional athlete, but especially William's sisters. Um, and so it was just more interesting as this, after this match, what came afterwards, you got to kind of learn more about what she had really accomplished and what she did. And sports writers had a hard time summing this up. And th- these are just a few of the accomplishments and the accolades, if you're unfamiliar with her work, um, uh, her career. 186 consecutive weeks at number one. 186 weeks, consecutive weeks. Um, four-time Olympic gold medalist, 23-time major or grand, or grand Slam wins. This is uh, the record for both men's and women's tennis. Nobody has more than her. 367 major match wins, six U.S. Open titles, 73 career titles, um, and then a career singles record of 859 to 155. This means that she won... of the time that she walked out onto the court. Now, as I said, I'm not not a huge fan, or I mean, I I don't follow tennis. I don't know much about it. I can swing a racket. Um, But when I read this, what I gather is, is that's not bad. And in her final match, it drew 4.6 million viewers to ESPN, which is more viewership than ESPN's ever had in its entire existence for any match, for any game, anything. Now, here's what happened, though. This is why I draw your attention to this. When that match ended, and you can go back and listen to her speech, which is really great, but when that match ended, everyone, everyone in that arena did what? They just stood up, and they just started applauding. And, and it kept going and going. And there wasn't anybody sitting down wondering, I don't know. I don't know if she really deserves this. But this is what happened. If you were in that arena, you were watching that, her final match and her career coming to a close, there wasn't anything left to do but applaud her and stand up and cheer and praise for what she had done. It was, it, was, it was the best way to put it. It was the most natural response. Nobody questioned what their bodies were doing at this point in time. Well, when we read what we just read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, there, there, there's so much here, and I, I appreciate uh, talking about this with uh, Jamie and Reed earlier this week, and Jamie just goes, well, where do you start here? Um, and that's the, that's the truth. Um, there's so much here, and as we look through it, and as we, we admire perhaps its beauty, maybe we, even for some of us we've, we, we appreciate it for, for, for the literature that it is of antiquity, or maybe we study it for its theological richness. Um, you know, you can do a lot of things with this, and, and the church has, and it's been blessed to have this. But for Paul, what we need to understand, first and foremost, before we slice it up into systematic theology, is that for Paul— this is praise. It is as if he's just standing up and the and, 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 and only thing that he can do is offer adoration and praise for what and who God is and what he's done. 
And so this is really just sort of the primary emphasis for this morning, because we're going to kind of start at the 30,000-foot view and talk about this text and then work our way down it as we get into next week. But first and foremost, this is praise. Paul thought of who God is and the grace and peace that he offers that we looked at last week, which is you know, peace. why we have peace with God is only because of grace, and the way that we maintain or keep that peace is by resting in that grace. And he's going to flesh all that out, and the only thing that can come out of his mouth is what you just heard me read in verses 3 to 14. It is praise, adoration, the overflow of his heart for who God is. Now, that's, and even talking about Serena Williams, right, that's a corporateness, you know, in a corporate sense of what praise is. I want to talk about praise this morning, but I also want to connect it to our own individual lives, because when we think about praise, we might think about just singing in a church service, or maybe we think about just, you know, clapping our hands for people. Um, I, I want to break, boil that down just a little bit more plainly. Um, praise is just is essentially what you talk about. It's what you talk about. Um, if you get to know me, it, it's pretty clear what I praise. I mean, it's McDonald's, it's Seinfeld, and it's college football. That's about, about sums up 90% of what I'm going to talk about, and we are either friends based on that or not. I don't know. Um, and as a, another friend just described what praise is, praise is, is this idea of dropping breadcrumbs based on the things that we talk about that tell people what's going on in here and what it is that we rest in who we want to be known as, the things that we love and we care about. That's praise. And the thing is, is that all of us are doing that. So you don't have to be religious in the uh, churchy sense to come in here and say, oh, this is praise. No, you're praising 24-7, 365. And why that's happening is because that's who you are. That's how you were created. We kind of also talk about it being a, someone who was created to worship. But you, you're created to give yourself to something and talk about it in a way in which you want it to uh, fill you and represent what is m the most important thing to you. Now, just because I talk about Seinfeld and McDonald's and college football, right, the, it's, it's not wrong to do that, and you've got your breadcrumbs that you're leaving that are telling people what it is that you love too. <clears throat> and what the Bible does, it says, okay, those are, those are small p praises, and what we, the Bible wants us to do is examine our hearts so that we recognize what is the ultimate, what, what, what is our heart's desire, ultimate heart's desire for what it wants to be about, be known for, rest in, identity, all of those things. What is the utmost of your praise? And as a Christian, we would say Jesus, right? That, that, would, that would be right. Um, for Paul, this is it for him. And I want us to take a look at that this morning in two ways. What is he praising God for? And the first thing we're going to look at is he's praising God for his plan, and he's praising God for his purpose. Now, there's more than that, but that's just what we're going to do for this morning. Again, start at the 30,000 foot, foot, foot level and work our way down by next week. Um, but those are his breadcrumbs. This is what's overflowing in him. This is what ultimately gets his praise. And I think as we look at this, the, the hope is that this would garner more of our praise as well as we come out 
of this section. So let's look at that first thing, though. Uh, praise for God's plan. I want to remind us of the audience for Paul, as we touched on last week. It's a mixture of, of Jew and Gentile converts, but probably more than anything, a gen- Gentile converts, which Gentile converts are non-Jewish folks, people who live in Ephesus, um, people from Tennessee who aren't ethnically Jewish, and they have converted to Christianity. That's all that means. And so to combine Jew and Gentile is really just to combine the entire world. Back then, people fell into those two camps. Um, And I want you to think about, okay, so here's what's happened. Jesus has died. He has resurrected. um, He has started his church, and Paul as an apostle is is a a representative um, with uh, the privilege of attorney on steroids to to speak for Jesus, has gone out to start churches and in this church, you have a combination of these two types of people. And one of the things that's helpful for us as we go through this section in particular is to remember what that would be like. To remember that you have people from two very different backgrounds, Jewish and Gentile, um, coming together to live under the same roof and trying to figure out what it means to be the church, to be one because of Jesus. And, and if this is helpful, great. If it's not, I'm sorry. But... Um, Think about this. Think about waking up tomorrow, and instead of there being the Baltimore Orioles baseball team and the Washington Nationals baseball team, those teams had combined, and we threw out all the team colors. Now it's purple and gold. Uh, we don't use the same stadiums. We use a different stadium, different cheers, everything. Now, if you're a, if you're a Baltimore Oriole, Orioles fan, that's a problem. Same thing if you're a Washington Nationals fan. You know, and, and there might be even competing visions for that too. Like, right, I get that we're, we're now one, but let's be honest, the Orioles are really the best here. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep some of that DNA in this new ball club. That's what's going on in the church within both of these people groups. And maybe the Washington Nationals are wondering, yeah, you know what, the Orioles have been around longer. Am I really supposed to be here? Um, and you see the, the push and the pull here of, of the challenges of what it's going to be like to be the church in this way. And so this is the audience. This is, this is who Paul's talking to when he starts here. And I just want us to remember that so we can understand what would this sound like? What would this sound like? What would they hear? Verse 3 starts out, Blessed be or praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places. Paul is praising God as the blesser, who has blessed us in Christ, and these blessings are spiritual, and we have them in what he says are the heavenly places. Now, next week is all about the blessings, okay? All about the blessings, but quickly, what are the blessings? Election, adoption, forgiveness, redemption, holiness. Okay, so let's set that aside just for a second. We're going to come back to it next week. Those are the blessings And we have those, and where do we have them as he starts out? We have them in the heavenly places, and what is this? Paul will use this term five times in this letter. It is best understood as the unseen world of spiritual reality, or the sphere in which rulers and authorities continue to operate, of which Christ reigns supreme, and his people reign with him. Now, these blessings have implications here that we'll get to in the letter, but what Paul is saying again is we have them in this place, the heavenly realms, because that is where Jesus is. And we are, as we said last week, united to him 
in Christ, thus we are there with him as well spiritually. This is, his, this is what he's, this is his mind, right? This is, what, this is what Paul believes, what he's saying, speaking for Jesus, or Jesus' words. We're united to him there, therefore we are with him there, therefore we have all of the spiritual blessings with him there. As I said last week, in Christ is a huge, huge deal for Paul. He only mentions it 11 times in these 12 verses. But these are spiritual blessings, as we'll see, that come to us as those united to Jesus. More on that next week as we explore those blessings. Right? But what we hear as we continue on in this letter is that whatever God is doing now in Jesus Christ and with these Christians in Ephesus, this was part of a plan that started before the foundations of the world. Verse 4. In verse 5, we read that God predestined us according to the purpose of his will. We read that in all of this, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And again, in verse 11, we read of purpose and will, which speaks to what? A plan. Six different times, Paul will reference God's plan, will, purpose. God has been working this plan since before the foundation of the world, and God is working his plan right now. This is what they would be hearing initially. And this is just one reason why Paul begins this whole run-on sentence with blessed be or praise be to God the Father and is all about who he is and what he has done and what is this plan for. Again, big picture, where is this all going? It's all about obtaining a people for his possession and that being part of what is bringing him ultimately glory. And so Paul's dripping like all these little bitty plans and these purposes throughout here as he's, as he's speaking, as he's giving us this. But there's an ultimate plan, there's an ultimate purpose here that, that is tied up, wrapped up in the glory of God, that God would receive glory for all of this. Three times we read to the praise of his glory in this section. God's plan is for his glory, his praise. Now when I say that... The initial response is, well, you mean to say that God made a plan from before the foundation of the world. He is carrying this plan out and will continue until the end. And all of this, all of this is so that he will be praised. All of this so that he will receive glory. This seems a bit narcissistic to me. Seems a bit needy. And when we say that or we think that, right, one, we must recognize that anything that sort of competes with even our own wills, and thus our own praise, right, it is to be rejected. Our hearts are fixed on our own plans, our own will, which has that as, as its end, its own praise. Some of that is a justice issue, we can say. I mean, if you do work for your company and you, or, or some project at school, and you, you put in, you know, 90% of the work, and you do the presentation and everything, and, and you get the grade, but then somebody else who missed all of the meetings and everything, that they get this credit, right? That's a little unfair, and rightfully should, right, rightfully should. Like, you, you deserve that praise in one sense because you've done this work. There's, there's, there's that type of praise that's okay, but other times, if we're honest, what we really have a hard time entering into is the praise of others for what they have done 
because we, we are people who, because of our hearts, right, we long for our own praise, which means we long for our own plans to move in that direction. And when, when that collides with somebody else's or something else's, this is, we, we, we feel that. We reject that. We come up with neat phrases like, this sounds like it's a bit narcissistic for a God to be designing something in order for him to be praised or to be given his glory. Just some examples, right? What about when you receive news from a friend or a family member that they're pregnant? Or I got a promotion at work. Or I got an A for the six, you know, always for, the, for six years in a row at school. Are you telling me every time you've heard something like that, there is undivided, unselfish praise coming from you all the time? At least for me, no. There's a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of a lot of things. While there are multiple reasons to be less than excited about some of that news, right, at times the fall sin has created in us a self-centeredness that can only be happy for a plan as long as it doesn't conflict with or come into collision with our, our own. We all want our day. We all want it. We want our day where everyone looks at us, cheers us on, and we know that we are the most successful in the room. We know that we are the, most, we are the prettiest in the room, etc. And that's not wrong or evil in and of itself. I'm going to be clear about that. But there is a self-centeredness in us that says my plan is all that matters. And so when we hear in the Bible that the ultimate end of God's plan is for his praise, we naturally recoil about that. As John Stott put it, everything comes from and returns to God, yet such Christian talk comes into violent collision with the self-centeredness of the world. Fallen human beings imprisoned in their own little egos have an almost boundless confidence in the power of their own will and an almost insatiable appetite for the praise of their own glory. So our problem as we begin even thinking about God's plan, and, 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 and we'll unpack it in just a second, our problem is not that we can't be happy for other people's blessings. Our problem is we can't be happy for the one who gives those blessings. God's plan is for his praise and his glory, and wherever we are with that this morning, and I hope, hope, to, hope to show you, there is nothing better than a plan that ends with his praise and his glory. And part of what the Spirit is doing in our lives, part of what, what, what it means to, to be a Christian, and we use phrases like sanctification and all that, it's, it's dying to our own plans and our own dreams and our own desires that we have set out on, which come with its own praise. And grabbing hold of another, or as I like to put it, coming into and receiving the story of another, another plan. Another purpose that gives glory not to me or you, but gives glory to him, and there's nothing better than that. The question is, is do we understand what it means for God's plan to, to both be in effect, both to be successful, and for it to end in, its praise and, in his praise and glory? Because what's happening right now, as, as Christians in Ephesus hear this letter, right, they are finding out that because of God's plan, their lives have gone from a life of either religious rule, um, religious rule following, which may be more of the Jewish side, right, or, or, or empty pagan worship at the temple of Artemis that we talked about last week, to having what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
And how that happened and why that happened to them will be something that we'll talk more about in the next week as we talk about the blessings. But for now, this happened because it was God's plan. Which means he knew them and had thought of them before the foundation of the world. And so if I could go to this side over here, the people who are wondering, like the Gentiles wondering, am I really a part of this? He's telling them, God knew who you were and thought of you before the foundations of the world. Don't question whether you are, part, whether you are or not a part of my people, of me. This is the first thing. This is his plan. And I would say the same is true for us this morning. What are the implications for you to hear that in, 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 with those ears? God's plan for you started way before you ever showed up here, way before you were born, before the foundations of the world. Who says that? Do you think you're even worth having been thought of before that? Whatever your experiences are, religious, non-religious, whatever they are, is there anything telling you that there's, a, that, that there's somebody in charge, right, that has orchestrated a plan that had you in mind before the foundations of the world ever began? Now, that's hard to believe, especially if you're coming from this background, but this is what they're hearing. There's a plan here. And I don't have all the pieces to it yet, but all of this is ending in, in our praise to God and his glory, receiving that, and somehow I'm a part of that. Okay. That's the plan. Let's move to the purpose, second point. You, I, I, I'm distinguishing these two things because you can have a plan that doesn't have a purpose targeted towards individuals, peoples, Right? And you can have a purpose really without a plan. <laughs> Paul shows us that God has, has a plan and he has a purpose. And let's look at that briefly. I want to come back to what I said about do we understand what it means for God's plan to be fully executed? And the short answer is, 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 is we don't. We know pieces of it. I can give you pieces of it here. But to know it would result in unending praise, which is part of the picture of the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation. And part of this is because there is no good, there's no good like the good of God's plan and purposes. That when we see it and we get a taste of it, of, of, of the purity of it, and, and how it fits into everything, it, it, it does what Paul is sort of doing here. It just evokes praise. What is the purpose for Paul in these verses? And, and, there's, and there's twofold here. Uh, the first one is God's purpose is to make you and I a people holy and blameless. All right, now, again, we'll talk about this next week as we talk about the blessings and how that comes about. But the, the, this would be the blessing of receiving the righteousness of Christ because we are united to Jesus who is holy and blameless, blameless in the heavenly places. So where he is, we are. What is true of him is true of us. 
Second, though, God's purpose is to unite all things there in verse 9 and 10. Unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And this would be the grand purpose of which all of the other lesser purposes fit under. All right, so let's, let's, let's understand that, right? The purpose here is to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. What does this mean? Paul is pulling back from the jail cell, as it were, uh, in which he's writing. He looks at the big picture here of having all things in creation redeemed, restored, resting under, and subjected to Christ's authority. As head of his creation, as king, as leader. Lightfoot says this, the entire harmony of the universe which shall no longer contain alien and discordant elements, but of which all the parts shall find their center and bound of union in Christ. All right, so here's what I love to say about something like this too. This is sort of a, a throwaway. Like when we, when we talk about the concept of God condescending to us, and all that means is that for God to condescend to us, so we, th- we, we can't enter the mind of God, but yet he condescends to speak to us. He uses our language. Right? Do you th- can you think about uh, an eternal God, full power, full of glory, uh, using English or Hebrew or Greek, Spanish, whatever it is, to communicate? How, how belittling in one sense that is. That's condescension. So he condescends to us. In that way, he shares much about himself through the means of our written uh, languages and word. This is what scripture is. But this is often not enough, not enough for us, right? We want to know more. And especially as things come into our life and we have, um, you know, we, tragedy happens perhaps or just things don't go according to our plan. And what is the next thing we ask is we want to know why. We want to know why about those things. And more sympathetic, I, I could not be. I want to know why too. I want God to pull back that curtain, right? Um, I want him to show me a little more about what's going on within this plan and these purposes. Uh, forget the fact that God has given me and us, all of us, everything we need for salvation. That's often not enough for people like myself. Um, we still want more, okay? Verse 9 and 10, that is, that's more. That's more. He made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure— that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You want more, that's more. Here's the purpose of my plan, God's saying, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. I can tell you what that means based only on the information God has given me, but no one has any idea, nor can they fathom what that is and what that will be like. My brain, yours, right? We might be able to get closer to describing it, but knowing what that is, we'll have to wait. So I just offer that the next time you want more answers for things, the, the idea that we could even understand it. Yet, God calls us to trust. Okay, back to his purposes. Sorry, I just felt like we needed to talk about that for a second. The mystery that Paul refers to in this uniting all things, which is bringing what Gentiles, non-Jewish people, into the covenant promises. This, this, this is the purpose. One of six times Paul uses the word mystery in this letter. The mystery in Scripture uh, is never something still hidden. It's something that was hidden but is now revealed. Mystery is always something that God has now uh, shown us. We're not still looking for it. The mystery revealed is that God's plan was to unite all things in Christ— and bring everything together in Christ, 
and this has happened, and it is happening. But again, it's not just people, right? It's cosmic in nature. It's everything. All things in the heavenly realms and things on earth. Uh, listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in, him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. What that means is that God's purpose was to gather people and set them under Jesus. He is their ruler. He is their king. And here's the thing. There is no one more merciful, more kind, more gentle, more loving than Jesus. And the good news here is that Jesus is and will forever be our king, and we will be his people. And so imagine again what Paul's audience knows here of rulers and knows of emperors at this point, right? Persecution. Can authority figures be trusted? Do they have my best interests in mind? Are they self-centered as well, like working ends for their, working means for their own ends? But what Paul says here is that one, the one who rules over them, who is the new ruler for you, is Jesus. This is the purpose of the, of the whole thing, to unite everything in the heavenly realms, earthly, heaven, earth, everything, and to put it under the sovereign rule and control of Jesus Christ. Now, that may not sound like much to us, but here's, here's the point. There is nothing better for you than for that to happen. And maybe I'm making some assumptions this morning about we hear that, we understand that, Jesus is king, he's, he's reigning over all things, but this is, the, the, this is the most good of any, anything in this world. And what is that, what, what should that evoke in us? Praise and adoration. The hard thing about this, this is why this, this doesn't necessarily sit with us the way that Paul's trying to drag us into it, is we are in, sometimes often in the midst of hard circumstances, things that aren't good. And so it's hard to see, like, where's this plan and purpose working itself out in this point in my life? But again, Paul is showing us where we are going and what is true still today, but where we are going with, with, with all things being under his reign and control. And when we recognize that, when we see that, and we begin to understand that there is no good like the good of God's plan and his purposes, we will just, when we see that, it'll do nothing but evoke praise and thanks and adoration. Even while you're in a jail cell. Uh, we are a culture in the West that loves good, and I, I'm recognizing the time here, so we're about to be done. Um, there's an Instagram follow called Tanks Good News, and it's really interesting to me. It's two, he's got like 2.8 followers, 2.8 million followers. <laughs> I'm the point eight, um, not, not fully committed. But you read this, and it's a, it's a feel-good type of Instagram follow. I mean, it's good news. It's Everything from getting money to help uh, victims all throughout the world, whether there's floods or whether there's uh, hunger problems, um, uh, videos of just people giving each other hugs and, 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 you know, all the warm fuzzies well up in you. P 
people helping other people, helping the poor, all kinds of stuff. Um, and when you watch this, right, something sort of in us lights up. Like I said, 2.8 million followers. Um, one post shared a woman's experience of finding a note card in a grocery cart with some cash in it to help her with groceries. Um, and, you know, so that good news is being, being distributed, and hopefully it, it's contagious. Another post shared a picture of a little boy uh, with his grandfather after catching his first fish. And then his grandfather died, and, <clears throat> and, and the boy, you know, he misses him a lot. And so the article talks about how he prayed for a little stuffy, like a doll, um, of his pop. That's what he called him. That he could carry around with him, right? Someone, someone got wind of it and made a little stuffy doll that looked just like his pop in that picture. And it even added him holding the fish. Like he's got the same color shirt on, same pants on, everything, hat here. Um, and they made it for him, having heard of his wish and sent it to him. It's stuff like this, okay? Um, that there still is good in this world. Now, I'm not, not, not saying anything wrong about that. Here, here's, here's what I want to say about this. And then we'll, we'll find a, we'll, we'll stop. Would we ever say, when we think about the good that we want to see happen in this world, when we think about even little things like this, when we think about the ways that we want to just help and serve and uh, the humanity aspect of things, would we ever say that, you know what, we need to stop all that good from happening? Like, would somebody literally walk up to that kid and set that doll on fire of his grandfather? <laughs> no. No, we love stuff like this. Right? We want to see the hugs continue. Right? We praise it, guys. We praise it, and rightfully so. And I'm not commenting on the motives here. I'm using it as an illustration. We praise it. Now, as good as that is to have all things united under Christ, where he is ruling and he is head of all things, what Paul is, is showing us from the mountaintop here is that is a good for us. That, that is a good for us and the creation that, that things like I just described are but tastes. You, you, do, you figure out what, what aspect, what picture of good you want, you know, that really moves you, and you have to uh, compound that to infinity to understand and to agree with and see this is what it means for God's plan and his purposes to have all things united under Christ and have Christ as the head over us. And so my question for us is then, would we want to say no to that? Would we want to say, no, that's not a good thing? Would we call that narcissistic, right? Where all things, right, when, 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 when the best good is happening and going to happen and, and we stand and we praise God for what he's done and what he's doing, would we call that narcissistic? Would we say that he is you know, full of himself? Would we want that to end? And you wouldn't, because you've been created to give that praise to those, to, to, to the one who has created all these things from happening. We, we get tastes of it when we look at our phone at little Instagram feeds like this. But this is what it means to have all things subjected to Christ. And I'm not sure, but it, it, it feels like there is a little bit of, can I actually say that today? To actually want and desire, as we think about other people coming to Christ, to want and to desire and to say the best thing for you and the best thing for me is not what I feel, it's not what, 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 my, what my desires are, it's to come under the reign and rule of Jesus. Because he is the only one who has the ability and the power to orchestrate all things working for his good. 
Would we say no to that? This is why God's plan, friends, is to the praise of his glory for Paul. It is, again, not narcissistic. It is simply right, and it is natural in the face of true goodness that this would all lead to his praise and his glory. And this is what overflows for him. Now, just for a second, I want to come back and ask, how would this sound to this audience, to the ears of this audience, just Gentile audience for sure, who just converted to Christianity? Because now, until now, any experience with pagan religions often meant that you had to keep the gods happy and at the least, right, not make them mad in order to, for their favor to be shown upon you. If there was a plan, you weren't a part of it. And if there was a purpose, it didn't have you in mind. But according to Paul, this thing we call Christianity, it comes along and it says, in fact, the God of the universe has a plan, has a purpose, and it's the only plan that there's been, it's the only plan that there will be, and you're a part of it. In fact, you've been a part of it since the foundations of the world. And the gospel is the announcement that all of this has found its completion, its telos, as the scripture writes, in Jesus. And that is what Paul is praising. That is what all the creation one day will be praising. You, you won't be able to stop it. And the invitation is for us you know, to share in Paul's perspective, even from this jail cell, which is also to share in his praise of our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. Let me pray for us. Next week, we'll look at the blessings of, of, of what comes from the blesser in order to unite things under Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word here. I pray that as we just sort of rest in the things that we have heard, that you have a plan that you have been working, that you have a purpose and maybe this purpose conflicts with some of the things that we want in life. Would we learn to trust that there isn't anything better, there isn't any more good for us than to be under, under Jesus Christ, the purpose of your plan to unite all things in him. Would you help us to believe that if that's where we are at this point? Uh, for others, would you just help us to delight in that, regardless of what's going on around us at this time, regardless of our circumstances? While we don't have answers for those things, you've given us enough here to understand that you are not just distant, but you are imminent. You are, you are close to us in the midst of this. And you are working all things for your purposes. And we are just beginning to digest the fact that you would consider including us in that. And so would that lead to our praise of you, our adoration to you? And would we long to be a people who are praising so many things in this world, would it be directed to the place where our hearts find true rest, which is you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.